Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Few events loom as large over underground electronic music as the Labyrinth. The Japanese festival began more than a decade ago as an outdoor trance weekender, but by the mid-2000s it was incorporating the sort of deep techno and house acts you normally wouldn't hear outside of a nightclub. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more meticulously curated festival. Its founder, Russ Mensch, thinks about coordinating the timetable like playing a DJ set, but its bookings, which range from resident Donata Dozzi to more experimental works like Bee Mask, are only part of what makes it special. On a swing through Japan late last year, Jordan Rothline stopped by Russ's home in Tokyo to discuss his vision and to hear more about the act of God that cut last year's labyrinth short. people talk about labyrinth they often say that kind of the star of the show is sound and i think uh the, the festival really seems to be a showcase not just mm -hmm. for music but for really good sound when, when did you first get interested in sound uh i don't know if i can answer that question i can answer when i got first interested in the sound system that we use for labyrinth um yeah, I heard functional one speakers, and you recognize immediately that's something that you could, it's just a way of reproducing sound that I hadn't heard on, on that scale before. I've heard really cool audiophile systems, but, but nothing that could cover uh, a soccer field. So almost right from the beginning, we, um, we, we said that we, it has to be that system. Um, and over the past 10 plus years, it's been a, a, a game of trying to fine tune and, and, and refine that sound. Um, to be honest, we've never really got it to exactly where we want it to be, which, which keeps things interesting. Um, every year there's areas where we thought, ah, oh, yeah, we, we should have done something a bit differently with the sound. Um, try different amps, try different, uh, different settings. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree that the, for me, the headliner of the, of the festival every year is, is the sound system. Um, I'd love to bring out the guy who built them, uh, Tony Andrews, as kind of a, a little dream of mine to bring him out and have him do the sound one year, but we haven't had a chance to, to make that happen yet. Well, sound is sort of a notoriously tricky thing. There's always something more that you could do to get sound better in almost any right. case. Well, it, it, you have the environment, everything around it. Outdoors, you're, you're not in control. In a club, you, know, you totally have control of the situation. <clears throat> when you're outside, you know, the weather, fog, rain, um, the, the ground gets wet, that, that actually has like often like a very beneficial impact to the sound. Um, there's so many things that are just outside of your, contr outside of your control. Did you have much uh, experience, like, you know, earlier in life, going to festivals, hearing what they sounded like and saying, man, there, there's a, an opportunity here? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't come from any kind of background where I could, you know, say like, I went to a festival and thought, ah, oh, you know, this should be done better. Um, I thought it was more, I thought there was opportunities there, not around sound, but more around just the psychology of events. Um, seeing 
situations we're in a beautiful area very cool people cool music but the the components not coming together uh in the way that i would have liked to see them come together um so i thought there's a lot of potential there but in terms of sound it was only when i started doing uh my own events th that i really got into it did you have experience doing events before labyrinth or was that uh, kind of the first no, thing that was the first one yeah yeah, yeah yeah i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> the first one was um kind of a logistics disaster uh, I did, had no no background in any of the areas, didn't have people in charge of all the proper situation from parking to gate to sound. I just tried to kind of do it all. Um, so that, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> I would imagine that uh, when you're doing a festival for the first time, things come up that, that you would have never imagined would even be an issue. There are just so many details. Yeah, like the sound system not working. Um, <laughs> the sound <laughs> the, system yeah, didn't the, work the, the, the first the time. Actual, the very first event was not with the Function 1 system. Um, after that, it was always with Function One or Turbo Sound, but we used a, it was an old Japanese, um, dub system. When it worked, it sounded really good, but, uh, it was, it was kind of patched together and yeah, we, we barely got it, uh, e even working on time for the event to start. So mm -hmm. after that, we said, okay, we're going professional next year. <laughs> we're going to using serious speakers. The, the other sort of starring role of Labyrinth, uh, you know, everybody says goes to the setting. Mm. And I know that that from, you know, reading, listening to other interviews with you, that, uh, you know, it's not just great sound, but it's a great place to experience sound. And being outdoors is, is a big part of that as well. How does that factor into Labyrinth? Well, I mean, obviously it's, it's you know, it's an outdoor event. Um, so it couldn't exist otherwise. Um, I'm not really, we, we do club events, um, you know, not under the Labyrinth name, but under uh, Mind Games. Um, we do the occasional event in unit, maybe once or twice a year. Um, so we, we I, I do like clubs and it, it gives a, I mean, clubs provide the the venue for this music to, to you know, to send you to exist, um, but it's not what, what I'm into. Um, what you can do outdoors is, is just it's just completely different um you can build timetables and and a whole sequence of, of a whole musical sequence which matches the, the you know the flow of the of the night and day and weather and, and just the you know just being outside were you always a fan of of the outdoors i mean before you got into throwing <laughs> festivals um yeah I mean, i'm not a i'm not a real granola type i i, I do a bit of hiking um my wife and i went on a two-week uh, trek after after we got married in New Zealand. So yeah, I do like to to go outdoors, but I'm not like uh, I'm not particularly adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I wonder though if there was you know like sort of an epiphany moment, you know, something where you were like, okay, great sound mm -hmm. experienced in the outdoors. This is the way it should be done. Yeah, there there's no one moment. Um, I mean, the the event grew out of the the Japanese outdoor trance scene. There was tons of, of parties in Japan, um, in beautiful venues, from you know small beach parties to mountain parties. Um, not in techno, but everything was was in the side trance and kind of psychedelic ambient scene. Um, so that those were the first outdoor parties I went to, and, and they were very cool. Um, but like I mentioned before, when I went to the parties, I saw there was some. You know, there's a lot of potential there that, that people are missing. You had this amazing crowd, beautiful venues, um, very cool. Everything was cool except you had some really dodgy characters mm -hmm. in the middle. Uh, you're trying to see lots of mafia, Israeli mafia, Japanese mafia, Turkish mafia. Th those three crews 
were pretty much at the center of all the outdoor parties. Um, and artistic sensitivities are usually not uh, what the mafia is known for. <laughs> so uh, that th there was a lot of um, you know, inspiration, but that seeing seeing the people what uh, were were very inspiring. Um, then I guess another moment was going to Hungary, so also a trans party. Um, that was very cool. Hungary was uh, an eclipse party, and it was run by uh, probably another dodgy character, but it, it was done very well. It was really stripped down. There was no, there's no structures on the dance floor, which I liked. Um, a lot of the the trance scene in Japan was kind of breeding its own culture where you build these giant string things and these giant lasers and all, all sorts of junk on the dance floor. Um, seeing a party in a beautiful spot with just two big stacks of speakers, a bunch of freaks on the floor, that's all you needed. Um, so th that was something of a moment, yeah. Yeah, we had Eric Cloutier on the podcast and he was sort of describing Labyrinth. He said, yeah, it kind of, there is a trance element to it, but the music isn't trance in the traditional sense at mm -hmm. all. So it's kind of like you took this trance concept and applied it to techno. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, th I think a lot of trance organizers like from that time um, were on to something that, that techno organizers weren't, which is essentially, you know, taking the music and creating a ritual experience out of it outsor uh, outdoors where you have the, you know, from, from sunset to sunrise, you, you go all night. Um, you can just create a much more fundamental experience in that context than you can inside an artificial context, i.e. a club. Um, so yeah, it definitely grew out of uh, the trance scene. The initial lineups were, were also somewhat um, connected to that scene. And then it slowly kind of grew into, into its own thing. Yeah, the, I'd say the sound is still quite, at least for me, it's still very trancey, mm -hmm. um, however you define that. But for me, it's just hypnotic. Uh, yeah, lower maybe lowercase t trance, not uppercase t trance. Right. I mean, I'm not um, in, in terms of genres. It's not something which uh, I'm particularly concerned with or, or, or interested by. Um, I mean, the party at, at this point is sort of predominantly techno and house, with some kind of more experimental flavors right. thrown in as well. Um, and this is music that has a real background in nightclubs, but maybe not at this sort of outdoor festival. Um, why bring that to an outdoor festival? Um, w w one thing that's challenging is always is finding DJs from uh, essentially a club scene who can respond well to playing outdoors. Um, so that doesn't quite answer your question, but it's always it's interesting challenge is, is trying to listen to someone, especially if you've never bought them before, and think, are, are they going to actually get the outdoor context? Uh, you, you, there's, there are tracks you can play in a club, which would, which would make sense, which just wouldn't make sense in, in the outdoor. We don't want to, you know, we're not trying to turn the thing into uh, an outdoor nightclub. Um, it's, it's something, uh, trying to create something a bit more fundamental. I guess uh, kind of the obvious question to ask next is kind of like how you choose artists for the festival. It's such a highly curated lineup. It's it's such a high quality of artist, but in a way it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what brings all of these artists mm -hmm. together. Uh, how do you, I mean, what makes like a labyrinth <laughs> artist? Okay. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I go through, tons of mixes and, and I ask artists and friends and you know if, if they have anything that they, they recommend to me um, 
and just listening to stuff throughout the year. And I make a big long list in, in a spreadsheet and, and just kind of go through, go through material. Um, but most of it, like the decision to book someone is usually very, um, well, I, I, I agonize for a long time, but then usually when the decision is made, it's, it's very easy. Uh, and it's usually for, to do with hearing a track or usually hearing a mix and seeing it at a certain time of day. Like just like I, literally visualizing it, you can see ah, this is happening on the first night at ten o'clock, and this is the the moment, um, and th that's usually how the decision's made. In terms of what's you know what's the thread that that strings all the acts together, um, yeah, it's just my personal taste in music. Um, I like I like very organic sounding, very hypnotic, trippy, psychedelic music, um, and it's I find that thread between uh, house and techno and experimental music. Um, so for me, there, there's a very clear thread that connects all of the acts. Um, but yeah, and that, I guess that thread is just just my own taste. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of the sequencing of an individual, like an individual edition of the festival, sounds like it kind of is happening at the same time. You're, you're kind of plugging these artists into mm -hmm. a, to a greater flow. Right. I mean, the, the whole thing is it, it's like programming a DJ set. It, it's it's we we see it as as one thing, mm -hmm. so you have three nights and each have a certain goal, or you have three days and you're trying to achieve something. And those three pieces, um, also as a whole, are designed to come together uh, in, in a certain way. Yeah, the the transition from um, one thing that's been interesting is when we've gone from an all night con uh, uh, format to a morning to evening format. Um, what that's allowed is it creates cool spots at the beginning and the end uh, of the days where it's natural to go to more, uh, you know, just not dance music, um, ambient music, experimental music. Um, so that, but it, it's finding, um, it's finding people from that scene who naturally blend into say like that environment and the techno scene, which, which is also a lot of fun, mm -hmm. you know, finding people like, uh, you know, like B Mask or, or like John Elliott, finding artists like that who don't come from you know, the context of, of, of a techno event or a dance event, but who do, who fit in perfectly. Mm. I'd imagine that doing this sort of format too. I mean, it just completely warps the whole notion of of peak time. You know, mm -hmm. you're you're not building up all day to some to some massive climax or something. It's is it is it more mm -hmm. spread out over time? Um, is there even a peak time at a festival? Yeah, like the, this? I mean, there is the 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 final set of the final day. That is something that you go out on a high. So we don't bring the sound back down uh, on the final afternoon. Um, we, we, we don't do like a two hour ambient outro. Uh, the but apart from that, yeah, there is no one. There is no one slot. There is no one peak time slot on the first day or the second day. You know, the, the whole thing is designed as 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 a, as a whole. Mm. It sounds like you have a like a very clear idea of kind of where these artists will slot in. How much do you communicate with the artists beforehand about mm -hmm. you know this is where this is where how, what I see you doing at the festival? Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a real control freak, and so you want to be careful and not dictating how someone plays. But on the other hand, you want to give them as much context as possible so they can prepare and and be aware of, of the position they're playing in. Especially if you've never played, it's it's difficult to imagine that sound system, that crowd, that context, 
Um, so I really try to give all the artists as, as much background, both in terms of you know the sequencing the event and w- what I'm trying to achieve. So yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, wh- when that's not done, uh, y- you can tell. Like if I go through a booking agent for whatever reason, there's not that personal communication that takes place. Um, yeah, that, that usually doesn't work so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a lot of artists that come back year after year, people like Donato Dazi, Peter Van Hoosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do get the sense that um, you forge personal relationships with these artists and th- that they feel very passionately about their place at, at the festival. With, with artists like those, um, do they ever come to you and say, hey, I'm kind of curious about playing like, you know, this time slot. Like, I think I've got something for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, it, it, not so much asking me like, hey, if, if I played the slot, could I do this? It's more experimenting with, with a different time slot. So for example, this year, uh, Dozi played an interesting slot, opening the event, playing a kind of a hybrid uh, DJ live set. And so that was something he was excited about trying. And he talked to me about um but for you know, with those guys, they're such masters that uh, you know, of course I don't have to tell them anything <laughs> at, at this stage. And, and the event is built around uh, a handful of artists, you know, like 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 Donato, like Peter. Um, we have a, and for me, the idea of of a resident is 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 critical. Um, the event is is very ritualized in nature, and for a ritual to make any sense, it has to have consistency. You have to feel like you're part of the same um the same experience each year and having resident djs like a donat or like a peter um they 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 bring that consistency that they kind of create that that ritual aspect where people um they they plan all year for their sets um and i've been lucky in the past couple years to to find um a number of other artists who who get the, the event um, like at that same level um, that Donato and Peter have, for example, um, Atom, uh, Atom TM, and and Petro Dundoff and um, and John Elliott. We have people like that who just as soon as they land, bang, they they just get it right off the bat. Um, so the, the challenge is, I've got so many people who I respect and I and I want to bring back every year. Uh, the, the the challenge is how do you how do you find space for for everyone. Mm-hmm. For, for people who haven't been to the festival, um, you know, I, I think we kind of have this idea of it. You know, it's it's out in nature. Um, there's this great sound system, um, you know, but 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 maybe like kind of the way that the festival actually plays out over the course of the mm-hmm. over the course of the run is, is a little bit more of a of a mystery. I mean, maybe you could kind of kind of chart what happens there. You know, what's <laughs> sure. the format format? Well, I mean, the. The first night, um, we start around sunset and go until maybe one thirty. Um, next day, we start in the morning around nine, go to around maybe one thirty again, and then the final day, the same sort of thing, morning till, till sunset. Um, so I mean, there, there's your your basic format. In terms of what happens, you know, it's kind of up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I know you had said um, I think in a previous interview that, uh, that well, at some point the format kind of switched it used to be all night kind of running into the next day and, mm-hmm. and then you kind of um ended up switching to more of like a day-long festival yeah for- that, that was when we went to this to the current venue uh, naiba when we first um 
when we, when we found the venue, there they didn't tell us about any sound restrictions. And then after we decided to do the event there, they let us know, oh, by the way, like you, you can't go all night. There's some local regulations. You'd have to have a covered dance floor. And, and so, so at first that was, it, it was, it was a bit of a shock because doing the whole, the whole all night format was just such a part of, of the event. You, you kind of go through the night and you have this kind of breakthrough moment in the morning and the sun sunrise, and then we'd finish up with ambient in the afternoon. Um, but after thinking about it, we realized, hey, this, this is kind of a cool restriction, a cool limitation that this will allow us to do something different. Um, the problem when you go all night is that, I mean, you really push people hard and then they push themselves to, to, to stay up. And then you, the crowd kind of splits into two. You have the younger crowd, which is more into staying up all night. And then some of the older crowd wakes up in the morning when the sound gets a bit groovier. Um, so you had kind of a, a, a split. Uh, except for me and the staff, you know, we can't split. We have to do the whole thing. So it really puts a lot of pressure. I mean, it really is very difficult to do that several nights, you know, two nights in a row. Um, especially the first night when you build the event, you, you set up, you set up the teepees, the speakers, you know, all the all the technical stuff. Then you're you're forced to stay up all night, and then all the way to the next day. Every time. It, for me, it was always, okay, this is the last time. The first night that I can't do this again, you're totally broken. Um, doing the day format is much more natural. You have crowd comes, they, they arrive in the early evening, they listen to music, they go to bed maybe too, or, or they sit out camping and cooking and barbecuing, what have you. But you know, everyone just goes to bed at normal time, wake up in the morning, if ambient music kind of drifts through the campground, so you'd be woken up by that, or when the dance music slowly comes in, maybe that will wake you up out of your tent. Um, you know, you have a beer, have a breakfast, and you come out to the floor, everyone's there together. Um, and then you push people hard. By the time it gets one o'clock, you know, everyone's dead. So you want to sleep. Yeah. So, you, so you fall into much more natural patterns. It sounds like this restriction was in a way one of the cool things that's happened to the festival. Um, right. Festivals in sort of, I don't know, the, the European mold, like a summer festival, they do tend to, to take on this kind of marathon vibe. Mm -hmm. And um, while Labyrinth is almost certainly a very intense musical experience, it sounds like it's not really supposed to be that kind of, you know, pushing your body to the limit, yeah. you know. I mean, you, some, some outdoor parties, when the sun comes up and it's supposed to be a beautiful moment, you look around the dance floor. Yeah, and, and there's some scary looking faces out there. Um, so you, you, trying to, you know, you push people so hard that they become zombies, uh, that's not so cool. Um, having said that, you know, after three days of being outdoors um, in this format, yeah, I mean, you, you, we do push you. I mean, to, the, the second day in particular is a long one. You, you wake up in the morning, you go and dance music all day um, until, you know, whatever, one o'clock, two o'clock at night. And then you have the weather which pushes you you're in Japan, you're outdoors, you're going to get rain. Um, so it's, it's a pretty intense experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get the sense that um, sort of the X factors with doing an outdoor festival, um, whether, um, you know, whether that's rain, sunshine, mm -hmm. temperature, um, all of all of this, like, like these are sometimes the things that would terrify a promoter. Like, are we going to have good weather? But I get the sense that with you, like within reason, those X factors are part of what makes doing an outdoor festival so exciting. Um, right. I mean, it's all it's all part of the game. If you're doing an outdoor party, you, you can't do an outdoor event 
and, and cry when it rains. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to, uh, and, and the crowd knows it. They're, they come well prepared. Um, everyone knows how to deal with the elements. Uh, people come to outdoor parties in Japan. There's a big outdoor party scene now, which has gone, I mean, the trend scene died off, I don't know, you know a decade ago, but you have a, a vibrant outdoor scene in techno, um, you've got, yeah, or you got organizations like Taiko Club, um, Metamorphos, and a no, number of smaller groups. So there's lots of outdoor parties. People know how to handle themselves. Um, and the weather creates, I mean, the weather helps make a completely different atmosphere every year. You know, sometimes you'll have like this year, typhoon, that tends to change things a little bit. Other days, you, other times you've had, you know, bright blue skies, but um, it really creates a, it seems to create like a, a denser experience mm -hmm. when you have a, a wide variety of weather conditions over the, over the course of three days. Um, it doesn't feel like three days. It, you know, it feels like you've been out there for a long time. So nobody, hopefully, comes to Labyrinth and it rains and they say, oh man, I wish it had just been sunny you know, this year or something. Uh, well, I'm sure there are fools. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned these trans parties and um, I, you know, your format or the sort of the idea for doing an outdoor festival of this sort in Japan mm -hmm. kind of comes out of that. And in a way that's sort of a trance kind of casting a shadow over the festival in a, in a good way. You kind of were able to borrow the best parts of mm -hmm. that. Um, my understanding though, is these parties in, in other ways had kind of a bad reputation. And I wonder if that reputation casts a shadow mm -hmm. over labyrinth as well. Um, I think at this stage, no, um, right. In the very early years when there was, um, when the trance was much bigger and we we're more closely connected to it, there, there was a little bit of that of people questioning. When you try to find a venue, it became a little tricky. Um, if they'd heard about other parties that maybe maybe like a trans organization had done an event there and they'd done screwy things, um, that could have made life more difficult. Um, but at this at this stage, no, that those kind of long, long past. It's great running a party, running a festival, you know, where you feel like there are lots of things that that you need you know, that you can leave to, to chance and that that makes the festival a richer mm -hmm. experience. But I would imagine there are also like a lot of challenges with running an event of this size. I mean, what, what are some of the challenges doing Labyrinth? Maybe mm. some of the things that are less fun than <laughs> choosing an incredible lineup for the festival. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the weather makes the event, but of course it makes creating the event also that much more difficult. Um, it, the, the biggest challenge is if you get hit with with storms when you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. um, once you have all the structures in place, you have the stage, the speakers, the electricity is all, I mean, w once everything's in place, then the storm can hit and you're fine. If you're out there and you're, you don't have a stage built and you get typhoon winds come, then yeah, then there's nothing you can do. Um, you're totally screwed. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so we've, we've come very close to being totally screwed in the past but we've never had a time where we weren't able to to actually put the thing in together in time. But th that's always been my biggest concern, much more so than than having a storm hit and even canceling the event, which uh, or canceling a day of the event, which happened for the first time this year. The the, the biggest nightmare is not being able to build it. Mm. Yeah, this year that that was so. This was the first time that you had had to cut the event short due to unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. Something with the weather that must have been a really heart-wrenching decision yeah well the, the the decision was made for us so you didn't really have to make a decision you you wake up in the morning you look outside 
you see you see rain going horizontally and you say okay that that's that um like going in or waking up and you had an interview with, with eric uh, eric cloutier a few weeks ago i think and going in and kind of knocking on his door and delivering the bad news to him um you could see in his face he'd already had uh yeah, the news was delivered. <laughs> he had a bottle of whiskey and a beer already open. There, there, there was no question of, of trying to do an event that day. It was, you know, it was decided for us. I remember talking to him uh, more, in a more casual setting when when he got back, and yeah, you could tell how how bummed out he was yeah, about so, that. I mean, all, all the rest they were, um, and I'm sure that they still are disappointed, and, and it's it was, it's kind of a heartbreaking moment for the crowd and for the guys who prepared, you know, Donato and Neil. You know, they put together just an enormous amount of material for the voices from the lake um, live set, and you know, boom, just weren't able to to play any of it. Um, Sreka, yeah, he was going to be closing the event for the first time. Um, and that was difficult for him, I'm sure. Uh, Eric, you know, was, was coming back again, um, but everyone was also you know very understanding. They see they see the situation. They're, they're happy that there were just no no injuries. Um, and that people got out safely and that everything was cool. Um, yeah, that's really good news. I would imagine um, for a fe- you know for an event like Labyrinth, uh, coming up with some sort of a, an alternative venue in, in this case, or you know just putting everybody into a nightclub and you know, yeah, doing the yeah, night that, or something, that, 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 that just that, wouldn't be the yeah, same. Yeah, that was never an option. Um, that did, Metamorphos did that two, I think it was two years ago. They got hit by typhoon winds um, and that's it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the party, but it's it's a huge techno party, over 10,000 people. Um, they couldn't they, they they couldn't even start the party. Uh, the winds were too strong. They couldn't put the speakers up, and they realized okay, they had to cancel before anyone even arrived. Um, what they did is they quickly called up some connections in Tokyo and set up a number of events. Um, I believe that night, or maybe that weekend, and also throughout the week. I think some artists stayed. Um, so for them, that made sense and it was cool because you got artists in town, you got people like, you know, underground resistance and, and mini log and, and characters like that. Uh, hey, they're in Tokyo, let's do something. Um, uh, but that's something like that no, never occurred to, never crossed my mind is, you know, Labyrinth is, is outdoors and it is, uh, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. For a lot of these artists, you know, who, who didn't get to play, I mean, this isn't just, you know, another gig for them. I'm sure a lot of them were probably as disappointed that they didn't get to play as the crowd is that they don't get to see them. Do you have any plans or hopes to bring them back, give another mm-hmm. chance to a lot of these artists? Yeah, whether who who's more disappointed, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think they, I, I think the artists are probably it probably hit the artists a lot harder than it hit the crowd mm. because for the crowd, the typhoon became almost a part of the event. It's, it's, you know, you're packing up your tent that final morning as things are blowing away would have been part of those memories. Um, for the artists, I think that, you know, the memories are probably a little bit more bitter. Um, in terms of bringing guys back, um, you know, we're close friends with, with all of the guys who, who didn't play. So whether they're going to play next year or another year, or we're going to do a, to- uh, a Tokyo event, um, I'm sure we'll see, we'll see all of them. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, sort of main event throwing experience kind of all comes out of Labyrinth. You weren't doing events before. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an American guy, I mean, living in Japan. Um, maybe you won't feel entirely qualified to answer this question, but 
Um, I wonder if there are some um, peculiarities, some some special challenges um, that come from from doing an event like Labyrinth mm-hmm. in in Japan. Special challenges. I mean, the I'd say. Why well, to kind of flip the question on its head and say, could you do Labyrinth anywhere else? Could you do something Labyrinth outside of Japan? Um, and the answer to that would be no. Um, uh, people have asked me, hey, don't you want to like try to do something and do, do, do a Labyrinth in Europe? And some promoters have said, do you want to try to do, you know, work together on, on a Labyrinth in, you know, in Germany? But the, the, the idea of doing Labyrinth outside of Japan is, is, is just totally absurd. Um, the, the culture, I don't think, exists anywhere, anywhere else in the world where you could pull off that kind of event. Um, and by culture, I mean um, respect for nature, uh, respect for, for other people, um, respect for the event itself. Um, I, I just don't think you could do something as intimate as Labyrinth is outside of Japan. And you make an effort, I mean, kind of flipping the what we're talking about on its head again, you, you make an effort, like, I mean, it's not just about hosting the event here, but it's about keeping it, um, keeping it sort of rooted in Japan, keeping it sort of as Japanese a festival as, as possible, you limit the number of tickets that can be sold outside mm-hmm. of Japan, right? Uh, yeah, we, there's, we, we set aside um, 100 tickets that uh, Club Area will mail. Um, actually, this year, that it's not even mailing it. They, you, you have a number and you show that number at the gate um, so you don't have to mail the tickets overseas. So we do have um, some international tickets but yeah, the, that 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 number is limited. Mm-hmm. Do you and find it, and it's not like we're trying to, to to keep people away by the number of tickets? It's just it's more of a gesture to oh, we're gonna we'll set aside a few to make life easier for for that small crew that's willing to to fly, you know, from Europe or Australia to, to come out to the event. But I wouldn't want it to be um, bombarded by you know a thousand or two thousand characters from Europe, that would change the nature of the event completely. Uh, with, with people coming in from outside of Japan, um, uh, do you have a sense of like how they find the, the culture of, of mm-hmm. the event? You know, if it is something very different from what they're used to, is there a kind of like festival culture shock? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think you'd have to ask them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, we always get um, very... Uh, well, people write to us after the event, people experience it for the first time um, and give very sincere uh, you know, expressions of gratitude and that the, the event made a deep impression one way or another. So um, it, something that we're doing is, is having an impact. You've been doing the festival now for, for 13 years mm-hmm. and um, you know, you've sort of hinted at some, some kind of micro evolutions along the way. There was the way the music had sort of changed right. with the festival. Uh, there was there was sort of the format um, changing with the festival. I mean, do you do you see this thing as sort of? Um, do you think you've basically got it down, or is it still morphing? Or there there's still oh, ways yeah, it's, that it's it's always changing. It changes as my record collection changes and my taste change, and also the 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 sequencing and the planning is always a reflection of the previous year. Um, some, like in a, in a what works, what doesn't work kind of way? Or? Uh, it, it could be that. or Well, this year, I saw this year's event as, as kind of a part two of last year's. Um, and by that, I mean there were a number of artists who played for the first time last year who I, I knew they had something else to say um, by putting them in a different position. And having seen the event 
and, re- and reacting or having a chance to react to the event in a different way. Um, so there was a lot of repeats from last year to this year. And that's because I saw them. I saw those two years as kind of two halves. Um, this next year is, is going to then again be a reaction to that um, and pushing things in, in slightly different directions. Having done the festival over this this period of time as well, I'm, I'm sure you've also witnessed, you know, changes in music more generally, mm-hmm. um, sort of different trends. Um, kind of with with the sort of music that you're interested in. I mean, how have you seen? Like, how have you seen this music changing mm-hmm. as you've been doing the festival? Um, well, fortunately for me, I don't really have to worry too much about these 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 trends in music because my, my tastes are so specific. I'm so kind of stubborn in, in what I like, um, and the event is so removed from the the club scene or the techno scene or the house scene that, that there's no pressure on me to ever book a certain kind of music. There's no um, I mean, people are expecting the event to be uh, a personal statement from us. That, that, that that's all the ex- that's that's the only pressure there is. There is no pressure of uh, there has to be this name or that name or or the music is going in this direction. So their expectations are that. Um, I think people want to be surprised. Um, so that 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 makes a lot more fun for me. Um, the event has a reputation now that the lineup doesn't matter. Um, we don't have to announce it. Uh, it doesn't, it, it, people coming to the event is not dependent upon who we book. Um, so that just gives me lots of freedom. It must be pretty cool to have the festival be so kind of caught up in your own personal taste, what, what you really believe in, what you feel is good. And then right. to, to see it be such a success, kind of a validation. Yeah. I've never really thought of it in terms of, of validation of these tastes are tastes and they're, sure. they're, they're, they're not to be validated. Um, but I do love bringing out artists that maybe people wouldn't expect us to bring, um, or, or artists who people wouldn't ever piece together. Um, most people wouldn't see Outer Space, Petr Dundoff, Atom TM, Dozzy in, 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 in a kind of, in any sort of line. Um, whereas for me, the line is natural. Um, so that's, uh, for me, that that's the 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 most fun part of the game. Mm-hmm. If if you kept doing if if it happened to be the case that you you kept doing this year mm-hmm. after year, and it was like you just weren't getting through to people, <laughs> I mean, would you ever consider making a concession? <laughs> making a concession? No. no, 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 no. It's not the kind of festival you run. No, yeah. I mean, if if the event wasn't able to support the current scale, um, well, then you'd have to figure out a way to to change the scale. Um, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't, yeah, I've got no interest in, in conceding anything musically. Mm-hmm. After, um, after sort of the, you know, the big tragedy that happened here a few years ago, the earthquake and, and mm-hmm. the tsunami, I mean, um, the sense that I've gotten is that that was a, a really pivotal moment. I mean, in Japan as a whole, but also in the music scene, um, there were a lot of artists who were afraid mm-hmm. to come afterward. Um, for other artists, it was, it was a source of pride to come back. Right. Um, you know, this is one of the biggest things that has happened in Japan in in ages, and I wonder if that had any effect on on what you do as a as a promoter. No, no. I mean, it, it didn't change any of any of my planning, anyways. Um, we did have an event with Peter Van Husen, which is one of the first 
events that that kind of took place after the earthquake. Um, it was certainly the first event that we did. It was one of the first events, one of the first big ones um, at UNIT. Um, so I think it impacted people's perception of the music and what it meant to them. Um, so like that event was was a particularly important one. It felt like uh, people coming together again and people have been somewhat isolated after the earthquake and it was difficult to go out. Did you want to be in a club? Um, there was a lot of you know, trepidation there. So in terms of emotional resonance, um, major disasters like that will always uh, you know, ha have a role. But in terms of, of changing my thinking, no. Hmm. Have you already started thinking about next year's event? Oh, of course, yeah. The, the day after, the, the day we're cleaning up, I'm more thinking of timetables and, and who we're going to book and asking artists, yeah. have you seen anyone in you know, the past year who would really work here? Yeah, so um, yeah, we're always thinking. It's just an obsession. Mm -hmm.